0: Welcome to today's Journal Club webinar. We will get started at the top of the hour. Welcome to today's webinar. We will get started in just a minute. Give folks a chance to get into uh, the Zoom room. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to today's journal club webinar. Um, This semester, we're focusing on the best of B. And so today's webinar is a presentation um, on the article that won best gem. Um, And gems, if you're not familiar, are great educational materials. Gems have been published in B. for probably decades, um, it's, I, I feel it's one of the unique features of JEB. so very exciting um, to have a presentation from uh, the authors today. So my name is Rachel Dager, I'm the Executive Director of s and And a little housekeeping as we get started, I will drop the slides for today's presentation in the chat, um, so that you can download those and follow along as soon as I can find the link again on my desktop. Um, I did enable the transcription um, feature. um, So if that's something that's useful for you, please uh, turn that on and follow along with the presentation that way. We will take questions at the end of the presentation. um, So please type any questions in the um, chat or Q&A boxes. All right, there goes the handout. When I close the webinar today, there's a short survey, and we appreciate the feedback on this session, as well as ideas for future webinars. And then watch for an email follow-up by Wednesday of this week, uh, which includes a link to the recording, um, the handout, as well as the CEU certificate that you're earning for your attendance today. I will turn things over to our moderator. Dr. Kristen Filippo, is Teaching Assistant Professor at the University of Illinois.
1: Thank you, Rachel. Today I get to introduce our two speakers. Jennifer Shukaitis is a faculty member in the Department of Family and Community Health Services at Rutgers Cooperative Extension, where she has been since 2012 as a statewide educator. During her time there, she has implemented programs in nutrition and wellness to audiences ranging in age from preschool to older adults. She has also partnered with the New Jersey Department of Agriculture and several schools and nonprofits to implement farm-to-school programming throughout New Jersey. She has won several statewide, and national awards for her programming. A current focus of hers is food waste reduction and its connection to food insecurity. Kara Cute is an assistant extension specialist in the Department of Human Ecology at Rutgers University. Dr. Cute is a health psychologist who studies community food security, risk communication, and public perceptions of food related issues, including genetically en- engineered foods. Her work has been funded by the National Science Foundation, the United States Department of Agriculture, and the New Jersey Sea Grant. Dr. Cute co-chairs the SNEB Food Insecurity and Higher Education Subcommittee that is part of the Higher Education Division. I want to thank both of them for being with us today and for sharing their gym. At this point, I can pass it over to our speakers.
2: Great. Thank you so much for the introduction and good afternoon, everybody, or good morning, maybe depending on where you are. Um, We're in New Jersey. It's afternoon here. So thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to tell you about our um, the pilot program that we ran the, the yumbox pilot program bringing my plate to preschoolers lunches and um i know we were already introduced but just uh to reiterate my name is jennifer Shakitis. i'm an assistant professor and educator in the department of family and community health sciences at rutgers cooperative extension and presenting with me today is dr kara cute who is an assistant professor and extension specialist in the department of human ecology at uh, Rutgers University as well. So here are the nutrition educator competencies for today. You um, you do have a copy of these slides, so in case you um, wanted easier access to those, those are these are included in the handout. Um, But uh, just to go over them, 8.1, 8.2, and 8.3 are the competencies that we are going to uh, address today. So now to get into the background of this program, I I realize that I'm probably preaching to the choir when I cite some of these statistics to an audience of SNEB members, but just to refresh our memories a little bit and to give some context to this program. Um, So we know that Americans eat less than the recommended amounts of fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Shouldn't be a surprise to anybody here. Um, Also that calories from added sugars and solid fats contribute 40% of total daily calories for two to 18 year olds. The trends that I just mentioned are often cited as contributors to childhood obesity and related health issues. Um, And the photo that you see here, um, I know that may seem like somewhat of an exaggerated representation of a bag lunch, but it was one of the top images that came up just with a quick Google search of typical packed lunch. So I thought it was interesting that this apparently is not maybe too far out of the norm for these days. If this is what's considered typical or normal with a quick Google search, this was just, you know, one of the images that came up. Um, So just to give some background on this program. Um, we're looking at bag lunches today or pack lunches for school children. And so um, understanding some of the context and maybe some of the expectations around typical bag lunches these days um, will you know, give us a, a piece of the entree into, into the, the rationale for this program. So we also know that 13%, 13.9% of American children ages two to five are categorized as obese. And it doesn't stop there. The obesity rate continues to rise as children age with the rate among 12 to 19 year olds being just over 20%. We also know that studies show that parents and caregivers of children desire practical solutions to create healthy meals. Studies also show that meals packed at home tend to be less nutritious than school meals. We also know that the research tells us that repeated exposure can lead to increased acceptability. So, again, most of you here know um, the statistics, but I wanted to highlight here the facts that parents and caregivers report looking for practical ways to make healthy meals for their children. Um, I am familiar with this from all sides of it. I, I mean, I know the research on this. I also know anecdotally um, from my peers, my my mom peers, my parent peers, that I hear this all the time, that um, it's a source of frustration. They're always trying to figure out easy ways to prepare healthy meals. Um, I know it personally, I'm the mom to young kids. So it's something that I have experienced. I have also heard from uh, staff at schools, from school directors, principals, teachers, that um, they're seeing that the lunches that the children bring for school don't include um, nutritious items for the most part. Um, we also know SNEB members right that repeated exposure to foods can lead young children to accept them into their diet. So in other words, we need a bit of persistence in making sure that our children are exposed consistently to nutritious foods if we expect them to eat them. So now on to the kind of the more personal side of the background to, um, to this program. So I um, these are my children here pictured. So I, I happened upon this yum box that I started using for my older daughter when she started preschool. Um, so these these photos are of my kids when they were preschool age. They're not pictured with yum box here, um, but they uh, they are pictured with uh, you know eating their veggies. So they got their peas, their broccoli, their spinach, which may or may not be the re- the result of their using their yum box. But um, wanted to show that they do eat their veggies. And as my daughter started school, one of the things that I know for me was a source of stress, even as a nutrition educator, was just trying to figure out what the heck to pack her for lunch every day. So I found this young yum bo- box, just you know coincidentally, and I found that it actually did make packing lunch easier. It simplified it every day. Um, it took the guesswork out and therefore the stress out of trying to just figure out what to pack every day. Prior to this, though, I also had been working with a a local preschool doing nutrition education for students, staff, and parents. Uh, The director of this school happened to have an interest in health and nutrition, um, and had also expressed a lot of frustration to me that the children's packed lunches lacked nutritious items, um, even with all of her efforts to educate the parents and to encourage them to pack more nutritious items. And I remember her telling me about one student who she said had three frozen waffles of syrup every day for lunch, just to, to give an example. So she felt like she was trying, she was making an effort to communicate to the parents, to educate the children, um, and she wasn't really seeing you know, results um, in as far as you know, what, the ch- what the kids actually had for lunch and what they were being packed and what they were eating. So the Yumbox lunchbox, this is where this kind of
3: came in. There it is pictured there a bento style lunchbox.
2: You can see it's divided into six sections. And five of the sections are labeled for the MyPlate components. So I know it's a little bit small, the writing, but um, hopefully you can see it there. So there's fruit, vegetable, dairy, protein, and grain, the five MyPlate components. And then there's a small section, that little round section in the middle for maybe a small treat or a dip. This is just the, the Yumbox, um, their landing page on their website. Um, I just It's interesting that the company was founded by two moms, uh, one of whom was from France, where she said that there's a much bigger emphasis on balance, variety, nutrition when it comes to feeding children and educating them, them about what to eat. So they wanted to create a lunchbox that made it easy to create balanced meals and that also could serve as an educational tool for both parents and kids. So this is what the, what the what the website looks like. And there are some photos of some sample Yumbox lunches there. And um, it's just interesting. This is part of, uh, you know, kind of a bigger trend. If anyone here has young kids, you may be aware that bento style lunch boxes are very popular now, have been for a few years. Um, this is just, it's a Pinterest board filled with ideas for bento lunch boxes. Not all of these pictured here are Yumbox, although it is featured in some of the photos. Um, But we do see here evidence of this trend of packing a variety of foods for lunch um, and also parents sharing ideas and looking for ideas of what to pack. So if you just, you know, go to um, Pinterest or any other of the, you know, similar social media sites and type in bento box lunch or yum box lunch, I'm sure something similar will pop up. This is pretty ubiquitous these days. Um, And just to give you an idea of of the yum box and, and how accessible it is to, um, you know, maybe an average person, uh, it's $30 for a yum box. Um, so I just put an example here. If you have two kids, you know, it's going to be $60 for the lunch boxes. So, um, probably a little more than, you know, an average bo- uh, lunch box that you might buy in, in any store. Um, I will say that my older daughter is in third grade now and she's still using it. So she went through two years of preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, now third grade. So she's on her sixth year with it. Um, I'm still using the same one. I haven't replaced any of the parts. Um, I put it in the dishwasher. i'm um, I'm not the most gentle person. so um, so it has lasted. So if you uh, divide the thirty dollars by six years, you know, what is that? Just a few dollars per year. So um, again, um, if you have the thirty dollars up front, it's probably a good investment since it lasts a long time. and um, I have found, and we'll learn more about this as we go here, um, that it makes packing lunches for your preschooler a little bit simpler and easier. So here's just a closer look at the inside of the Yumbox. I know I showed you that photo of it before and of the, the sections that are labeled, but um, here is Yumbox, the inside of it, which has a removable tray for easy washing, side note. And here's my plate. And so you'll see they've got all the sections here. There's a section for dairy, which is ah uh, conveniently um, shaped just to uh, accommodate a, a cheese stick. There's the protein section, grains, fruit, vegetable, and then there is the uh, the middle section too, um, which is you know if you want to pack your your child a little treat or if they like to dip their veggies in a dip um, or something that is that is perfect for that. Um, and even if you were to include, you know, like right now, my my kids want their Halloween candy in their lunches, so I'll put a little piece of that in there. But it's just, it's such a small section compared to the other sections, which are much larger to accommodate the, uh, you know, the meal.
3: So when I was uh,
2: looking to uh, design this this program, the Yumbox pilot program, um, the theory behind it was really behavioral economics. Um, And leveraging principles of behavioral economics to influence the behavior of um, parents and caretakers to pack uh, more um, lunches that have more variety and that have more nutritious foods. So we're looking at choice architecture, which is part of the behavioral economics theory, which is the practice of influencing choice by organizing the context in which people make their decisions. And um, giving people some nudges. So a nudge is any aspect of the choice architecture that alters people alters people's behavior in a predictable way without forbidding any options or significantly changing their economics incentives. So um, these are sort of two principles that are present in the yum box. You've got the labels for um, the different types of foods and uh, using it every day kind of nudges people. It, it changes their, their choice architecture and gives that little nudge, right? So more about the Yumbox Pilot Program. These are the things that we wanted to find out by implementing the Yumbox Pilot Program. First of all, does Yumbox improve the foods that preschool students bring for lunch? Are their lunches more balanced and do the students have more meal components in their lunches? This is how we designed it. So we had our intervention school, intervention preschool, where we had 56 students enrolled in the program. So each child in this school was given a yum box. Um, They were also given suggestions for foods. Oh, I see the word foods was cut off a little bit there. It's foods, not oods. Suggested foods for each yum box section. So um, the parents got the yum box. They also just got a piece of paper that listed suggestions for different foods that fit into the different sections. We also enrolled a control school in the study where um, we had 54 students who participated and they were given no intervention. So no Yumbox and no no list of foods or education in any way. I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Let me go back here. Um, The number of lunches that we observed, okay? So here's a little more about the the Yumbox, the pilot program design. so the, for three days, we went into each of, the, each of the schools to do an analysis of the contents of student lunches. So we did that. We um, worked with students from Nutritional Sciences Department of um, Rutgers University. They were our interns. They went into each school um, for three days and they took photos of the students' lunches in both schools. Um, they also took some written notes um, just to back up the photos and to help them remember anything um, from the day when they were in there. We also distributed a parent survey and a teacher survey. So every day for three days, a member of the research team visited the preschools during lunchtime and photographed each participating child's lunch. Okay, so that was 56 packed meals. Um, We recorded the presence or absence of each component of lunches. So those five components of my plate, which were vegetable, fruit, dairy, grain, and protein. Those components were then recorded in a spreadsheet for evaluation to determine how many students brought each component. Okay, so we were looking at the varieties here. So how many components were present in each lunch or absent in in each lunch? During the same three days, another member of the research team visited another similar preschool our control preschool and photographed each child's lunch, same thing. And again, the components of each lunch, which were the vegetable, fruit, dairy, grain, and protein was then recorded in a spreadsheet for evaluation again to, to determine how many students brought each of the five lunch components. And then data were compared to determine if yumbox had any effect on the types of food that children at the intervention school brought for their lunch.
3: Also distributed a
2: survey. So an online survey was distributed to the staff of um, the intervention school to determine if they believe that Yumbox helped to improve the nutritional quality of children's lunches, um, and or if their students ate more fruits and vegetables after they started using Yumbox. Online survey was also distributed to the caretakers of the intervention school students to obtain their opinions on if and how Yumbox helped them to pack more nutritious lunches for their children, and if they enjoyed any other benefits from using Yumbox. So these are the results and I'm going to let um, Dr. Kara Cute take over from here for a little bit, discuss the results.
4: Great, thanks, Jen. Um, If you could just go down so we can see what's on the slide, that would be great. Okay, so as Jen mentioned, um, we collected data at two different schools over three days, um, and it was March 2020, so right before uh, the whole world shut down, and we looked at 110 total lunches, um, and those. it's important to note that the lunches were not connected to an individual student, so if we saw lunch on day one, We didn't know what that student's lunch looked like on day two or day three. And in fact, not all the students were there for all of the days that we were collecting data, Um, right? And then also a small percentage of the parents declined, as is absolutely their right, to have their students' lunches um, photographed. So they were not included. Okay, so this is one of the tables from our paper, um, and I really want to point your attention to two numbers here, because there's there's a lot of numbers. At the intervention school, meaning the school where the students were given lunch box, uh, the yum boxes, we saw an average of 3.8 meal components in each lunch, right? So, so if we're thinking about how many of those components were present, the fruit, vegetable, dairy, grain... Um, and I'm forgetting the fifth one, but that's okay, because we were looking at five. Um, 3.8 of those meal components were um, present in the intervention schools on average, compared to 1.9 in the control school on average. Um, And these differences were highly statistically significant. And it's a little hard to see it here. So Jen, if you can just go to the next slide, Uh, we have it broken out by day. So you can see on all three of the days, the intervention schools um, just had had statistically significantly higher um, numbers of of, of meal components present in their packed lunches um, than the control schools. And we see the numbers going up a little bit over time. We didn't do any testing across days, but... um, But it's interesting to wonder, you know, were they getting better at using the lunchbox or and we see a slight increase in the control schools as well. So maybe it was the kids coming home and saying someone's photographing my lunch or whatever it was. We see that slight increase over time. Um, But what is very consistent and what's most important is that there are more um, components present in that in the the school where the students were using the yumbox compared to the school where it was just status quo. Okay, and another way of looking at that same question of how many components were present is just looking at the number that had um, one, two, three, four, or all five components present. And so that top row is the intervention schools. And you can see that almost all of the student, all almost all of the lunches, because this is by lunch, not by student, almost all of the lunches had at least three um, meal components, Whereas if we look at the control school, and this would be expected based on the graph that I just showed, uh, almost all of the lunches had only one or two components. So it's really clear when we look at the mean or when we look at the distribution that there were way more components present in the lunches in the school that was using the Yumbox lunchboxes. Okay. Um, Now this is another one of our tables. I don't want to really... It's too many numbers for this presentation, so we created um, a figure. So you can just go ahead, Jen, to the figure if you want, and I'll and I'll just sort of mention what was on the what was from the table. So first, we were talking about how many components were present. This is looking at which components were present, right? Because that's that's important, and we were most interested in the fruits and vegetables. We wanted to see if the yum box resulted in more parents packing. Um, fruits and vegetables. And we see here the red is the intervention school, the gray is the control school. And you can see um, this is averaged across the three days that, that the lunches were much more likely to have fruit if they were using the yum box compared to the control school that wasn't, much more likely to have vegetables, much more likely to have dairy, and much more likely to have a protein present. Um, And I'm just going to say, we ran um, chi squares separately for each day. It's a little bit complicated why we had to look at each day separately, but across all of those four food components, they were highly significantly different with a very strong effect size. So there were major differences present on every single day in all of those four components. Where we did not see any statistically significant differences, as you would expect if you're looking at this at this figure, is in the grains. So there was 90.7% um, of the lunches in the intervention school and 86% of the lunches in the control school had grains present. So we don't see a difference there. But on the other four components, the intervention schools were statistically significantly more likely to have those food components present in their packed lunches. And I just gave you the numbers, but Jen is going to walk us through some visual to make it a little bit more, a little more real, um, some visuals of what those lunches look like. Great.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Kara. Um, So yeah, as as Kara mentioned, here's just a little visual sample, some of the photos that the interns and I took in um, when we went into the schools to um, analyze the lunches. So on the left, obviously, that's the intervention school using a yum box. You see all those, uh, that nice balanced meal, all the components present. Um, and then you see the control school on the right. So we, uh, yeah, we have the chicken nuggets there. And just, just to note um, that if we had something like chicken nuggets or mac and cheese, we did mark those as two components. So the chicken nuggets would be protein and grain. Mac and cheese would be um, grain and dairy. Um, so, uh, so just to make that clear. So here's, you know, one example. Here's another. Now you'll see, I just thought this was interesting that um, the intervention school in this particular lunch, they they do have the mac and cheese. It looks similar to to what the the control school lunch looks like. It's got the mac and cheese in there, but it also has the carrots and the blueberries and what looks like um, maybe nuggets and also maybe yogurt. Um, so, um, so it does have the mac and cheese, you know, cause kids can still eat their, their, their mac and cheese if that's their favorite, but they're also getting the other things, um, to balance out their meal as well. Okay, another one here. Um, <clears throat> again, we see a similar, looks, you know, some kind of wrap or tortilla that, um, each of these lunches has. So the yum box has a tortilla and then it's also got the cheese stick, the grapes, the peas, and the, um, looks like chicken. Um, compared to the uh, the control school lunch, which has, which has a tortilla. And I remember this one, it was a tortilla with a, with jelly. So again, um, the more balanced um, options to round out that meal in the intervention school. Okay, I think we have a couple more here. Um, so uh, on the left here, the intervention school, they've got the the eggs, the bread, Carrots, cucumbers, cheese stick. Um, I can't tell what's in the middle there, some kind of maybe treat or something. Um, and then the control school, which had rice, and I think there were some shredded carrots in there. Okay, so that's the, just a little visual sample. I just think that, um, you know, we look at the, the numbers, and um, it definitely speaks to um, what the, the Yumbox school parents or caretakers packed. Um, But then, you know, looking at the visual, I think just kind of helps it, as as Kara said, to make it a little more real and to to also see how we were um, analyzing these, going into the schools and taking the photos. So we also had the parent survey in the intervention school. Um, We had an 85% response rate. So um, 73% of the parents surveyed said Yumbox helped them to feel more comfortable preparing a complete meal. Uh, 69% said that Yumbox had improved their knowledge of the components of a complete meal. 61% said they had used Yumbox to talk to their children, their child or children about healthy eating. And 61% indicated that Yumbox made it easier for them to know what to pack for their child's lunches or their children's
3: lunches. And here's
2: the staff survey survey results in the intervention school, as well as a small school. um, We got four responses for a 57% response rate, but 100% said Yumbox made it easier to talk to students about nutrition or healthy eating. 100% also said that Yumbox improved their own knowledge of the components of a complete meal. And 75% said that they had observed students talking about nutrition or healthy foods since they started using Yumbox. Um, So discussion for for this uh, pilot program. So the results of this pilot program reinforce behavioral economics research, the things that we already know about the presence of visual cues when it comes to choosing foods for meals, choice architecture and nudges, um, that those things work and um, makes uh, creating a more complete meal um, easier for people and more likely. and the Yumbox can really be used in any setting where children are bringing lunch. So um, in, the pre, in preschools, um, the ones that we worked with, they were schools where none of the students bought lunch. It wasn't it wasn't an available option. So every single student brought in lunch. Um, but Yumbox can be used in any setting, in any school, camp, enrichment activities. Um, I even pack them when we're going like for a day trip or something. Um, just makes it easier um, for me to, uh, you know, to pack those lunches and know what to pack. Um, They're also easy for kids to use for little hands to to open. Um, So it's a very practical choice and can be used in really in any setting where children are bringing lunch or any meal for that matter. It doesn't have to even be lunch. And Kara is gonna um, talk about the the, the limitations of the study. Sorry,
4: sorry. Sure, so we're not able to quantify in this study, how much of it was the YUMBOX versus the um, instruction that Jen provided to um, the parents uh, through a flyer with instructions. So it could be that the that the flyer was having an impact. And, I mean, we suspect it's the YUMBOX, but um, we can't separate those in terms of our um, design. And we also were only able to do the project in two schools because of COVID happening um, and basically stopping all data collection (laughs) and stopping a lot of things. So um, we weren't able to expand, but it would be great if we could in the future um, look at more schools because it could be that the schools were different, that one school was more inclined to um, encourage parents to bring healthier foods and the other school was less. So, um, you know, so we don't know if there were some kind of differences in the school. So we would need to have more um schools in in future studies but this was a pilot so um so that was you know and our our results are very strong our effect sizes were really large even though we only had uh, a small to the two schools and a small number of um students it still it still shows an important effect and uh, and i can um just talk a little bit about um, you know, we didn't have this in the paper itself because it was so short because of the space limitations, but there's a lot of future research that would be really um interesting and fun to to and important to look at. So um, you know, would something like this work for older children if there was a larger size Yum box? Uh, do we think that um that this that this approach would work um, with with older children um, who might have who might play more of a role in packing their own uh, school lunches. Um, one thing that we'd really like to know is do these affic- uh, effects persist over time? So we looked at three days, and we actually saw that. Kind of increasing number of components in the meals over the three days, but we don't know what does that look like a month from now, or you know, a, a month from when we first collected data, or a year from when we first collected data. You know, do do we see these changes? Um, persisting over time, and then also do the effects generalize? So what happens when your yum box? I know Jen said her yum box didn't break over six years and lots of washings, but you know things happen. A kid, what if you're if, if a child loses their their yum box, right? What do the lunches that the parents pack look like then? You know, are we sort of are we training? Care, the caregivers to pack more balanced lunches regardless of the container that they're putting it in and are we training children to expect more balanced lunches? Um, you know what happens when when children are choosing their own food and then what happens when children sit down to the to the breakfast or dinner at home? you know are they looking for those those meal components or is it sort of an effect that's isolated just to lunch at school? Um, And then also just, again, trying to, you know, this goes back to the limitations a little bit. Um, We we weren't able to design an experiment where we had different components of the intervention present. And it would be really cool to do that, to have a lunchbox that maybe doesn't have the compartments but has the printed um, sections laid out. Or maybe one that's just a more traditional style bento box that has the compartments but that the compartments aren't labeled. You know, we don't know which is it. Is it, is it the visual cues, is it the compartments, or is it both of them together that's having this effect that we're seeing with the more um, balanced meals and more different um, uh, food categories present? So that would be really interesting to do a study where we can kind of break apart the different components that are present in the in the yum box and try to test them each separately to see which components are actually having the effect on, on the um, differences in the lunches.
3: And
2: that's it. So that's it. We're happy to take any questions now. If anyone has questions,
1: thank you so much. If you want to put your questions in the Q and A box, then um, I can share those with our presenters. So the first question is: um, Could you did the? Could you describe the profile of the schools? So were free and reduced meals offered? Were they Title One schools? Things yeah. like that.
2: Um, So these were um, two small private preschools um, where they didn't participate in any um, federal nutrition programs at all. Every child brought their school to lunch every day. Um, They were both, excuse me, they were both um, uh, Montessori schools that um, enrolled children ages three through five or six.
1: Okay. And then another question I had from the time the box was given, how long, how much time elapsed before you started looking at the meals and then how much time between each of the three days?
2: Uh, The three days, it was three consecutive days, um, which was lucky because our first date, unfortunately, was March 9th, 2020. (laughs) Um, so if we had had much more space in between the days, we may not have gotten even just the three days of data, cause had originally planned to do 10 days. Um, so it was three consecutive days for each of the schools. And they were the three same days that we went into each school. Um, the parents received the YUM box, um, for the beginning of the school year in September, and then we collected the data in March.
1: Okay. So they had the chance to go shopping and adapt to using it before you measured. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I was curious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, another question What were the demographics of the students and families?
2: Um, the demographics in each school were similar. Um, this was not in a low, low income area or anything like that. This was like middle class uh, community, communities in both schools.
1: And was there any anecdotal information regarding if the food in the intervention school was eaten and how much?
2: Yeah, so that is definitely also a limitation. We couldn't measure consumption because there was no standardized serving. Um, So this was really more of a training program for parents and caretakers and not necessarily, you know, checking about what the kids actually consumed. So, um, but it has to start somewhere, right? So no, we didn't look at consumption. We only looked at what the, the lunches contained.
1: Okay. So no, no knowledge of if there was switching or anything right. like
2: that. Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Makes sense. Yeah. With, um, you had mentioned maybe doing this with the older kids that you might need a larger yum box. Do they come in different sizes or is that, is this geared towards?
2: As far side? as I know, there's only one size. So there, there are different varieties of yum box The Yumbox that we used was the Yumbox original, which is the one that has the labels for the five components of my plate. Um, There are others that don't have the labels and that have larger compartments, like if you wanted to put a sandwich or something, for example. But as far as the the bento style with the labels, I believe that's the only size that is offered.
1: And then another attendee says, great presentation. I agree. Um, Based on the photos shown of the school lunches, the control luncheons were often a single component, such as chicken Mm -hmm. nuggets, mixed rice rice dish, tortilla wrap, while the yum box had a component for each food group. I'm wondering if you measured the amount of time caregivers spent preparing their lunch. Mm -hmm. Um, I would guess that the prep time would be longer for yum boxes and curious if you think Uh, This would affect the compliance of packing lunches with all five components.
2: Uh, No, I didn't measure the amount of time caregivers spent. That would be a a good question to add to a survey, though. Um, But, but yeah, that's a good point. That it, you know, it's quicker and easier just to throw some mac and cheese into a thermos and call it a day, as opposed to trying to figure out the, you know, the five components. Um, So yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, maybe for future research, we can add that to our survey.
1: Yeah. Did any of the students who were given a yum box at the beginning of the year come with a different lunchbox on your observation days?
3: Um, no, they all use the yum box. Okay.
2: Yeah. That speaks just,
3: to parental acceptance
1: of it if they,
2: yeah, yeah. Not every parent uh, consented to participate, but of the ones that consented, yeah, they all brought them.
1: Okay. So even over time, they were still using them. Did they know those were going to be the observation days?
2: They did give, I mean, they had to give permission. And we did say that we were going to come within a time period. We didn't give the specific dates though. Okay. So they, they maybe had some clue, but yeah.
1: And then your engagement with parents was through a newsletter. Was there ever a face-to-face meeting?
2: Um, the Actually the, the, um, The list of foods was handed out during the back to school night. So that was a face-to-face.
1: Okay. Were you meeting with them or did the teachers hand it That was me
2: meeting with them.
3: Okay. Yes. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm ready to go buy them for my nieces and nephews. (laughs) I think (laughs) the yum box sounds really fun uh, for them.
4: No. Well, I think, can I say one thing? I think Jen I don't remember if Jen said this or not, but that the research was not sponsored by Yumbox in any way. Oh, I- yes, you I- for adding that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
3: Just
4: well, important I- to note.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. For sure. I think that's all our questions um mm-hmm. for today. I want to thank you both for oh there is another uh, question. Did that you ask the kids how they felt about using yum boxes? No,
2: I didn't. I didn't ask the kids. Um, I just asked the parents, and the we had the parent survey and the staff survey. Um, but uh, but that's again another another potential, you know, direction for future research that we could survey the kids. Um, we'd have to figure. I mean, these are preschoolers, so they're ages three, four, and some five year olds. So uh, so yeah, we'd have to figure out how to. Uh, to administer the survey to them. I'm sure we could make it work though. And that would be a really, really great, um, direction to take to with the research to get the kids perspectives on the YUM box. I know that they really enjoyed, like they got such a kick out of us going in there into the school. They're like, you're taking a picture of my lunch. They thought it was so funny. And they were like, you know, excited to have us in there and show us their Mm -hmm. lunches. They were very, um, I remember my interns asking me, you know, when, when I was, going through the uh, the protocol with them. Well, how are they going to feel? Are they going to feel weird? And I was like, I don't think kids at this, this age, they don't have that self-consciousness yet. Oh. I think they're going to be fine. And then that's what we saw. We saw that they were just like, sure, here you go. This is my lunch. Look at it. Um, so yeah, it's a fun population to work with and I would love to survey them. That's a good question.
1: Oh, and I'm glad you're able to get it in early in March <laughs> <know>. of 2020.
2: <laughs> Me too.
1: Interesting to reflect back.
2: Yes, I know.
0: I know. Well,
1: Thank you both. Um, I think that is all our questions. And at this point, I can hand it back to Rachel.
0: Yes, excellent presentation. Thank you. Uh, just a reminder: there's a short survey when I close the webinar, and we appreciate your feedback on this session as well as ideas for future sessions. And then watch for an email by Wednesday that includes a link to the recording, uh, your handout, and as well as the CEU certificate that you're earning for your attendance today. Um, a reminder that Journal Club will be back next week. Um, we have a few more sessions left left in our Best of Janie B. series, uh, so please. Please go to the SNEB website um, to register for those. Also, if you're an SNEB member, um, there's a webinar planned, um, I think it's the 18th if that's a Friday, um, on SNEB's DEI uh, statement that is currently being um, reviewed by the membership and voted on as a resolution. Uh, so I encourage you to, one, look at the resolution and cast your vote as a member, um, but then also attend that informational webinar if you're available on that day. Um, again, we'll record that one also, um, but you may enjoy the the live interaction for that presentation. Um, and then one last reminder, today is the last day to submit program proposals for the 2023 conference, um, but abstract presentations just opened on November 1st, and so you have until the uh, 14th of February to submit your abstract presentation for the conference in D.C. next summer. Uh, so thank you all for attending and look forward to seeing you back at Journal Club next week.